0: This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee and this is Campaign Catch-Up, bringing you the top news and analysis on the 2022 federal election. It's Wednesday, the 4th of May. Today, Chief Political Correspondent Sarah Martin joins me to discuss the political fight of Treasurer Josh Frydenberg's life. But first, here's what happened today. The rising cost of living dominated the day after the four major banks passed on interest rate hikes to their customers. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in Adelaide, saying the government would shield Australians from tough economic times better than the opposition.
1: The waters will remain choppy globally, and the headwinds will still be there. And what you will need is a government that knows how to handle this, that has been through the testing times of these last three years and has brought the Australian economy through. Now is not the time to risk Labor, who over three years still do not have an economic plan, and a Labor leader that doesn't even know what's going on in the economy and couldn't tell you what the cash rate or the unemployment rate even was three weeks ago.
0: Labor leader Anthony Albanese was in Melbourne. What is the RBO's cash rate? The RPA's cash rate is at 0.35. He said the opposition had a plan to grow the economy without adding to inflationary pressures. And Australians, when they cast their vote on May 21, can think about this. Is this as good as it gets? Because a government that goes into its fourth term doesn't get better. They just get more out of touch, more complacent, more arrogant. And that's what we've seen from this government. The Coalition announced it would freeze deeming rates for two years if elected, to help pensioners whose cash deposits will grow as a result of the interest rate rises, a promise Labor said it would match. And the Prime Minister stood by his description of New South Wales's anti-corruption watchdog ICAC as a, quote, kangaroo court.
1: The New South Wales ICAC Commissioner has labelled anyone who refers to ICAC as a kangaroo court as buffoons. You've done that. Firstly, your reaction to being called a buffoon. And secondly, is this why Josh Frydenberg has said that he would choose his words differently when describing ICAC to the way that you've described it? I stand by what I've said about why I don't think that model is a good model for the federal jurisdiction. He can say whatever he likes.
0: Morrison says a powerful integrity commission could turn Australia into some kind of public autocracy, while Labor is promising to introduce one with teeth. This Prime Minister just dismisses any integrity issues. What is very clear is that if Australians want a national anti-corruption commission and to clean up politics, they need a Labor government to do so. Coming up... Sarah Martin is here to discuss whether Treasurer Josh Frydenberg could get turfed out of his blue-ribbon Liberal seat by a teal independent. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jane. How are you going? I'm good. Uh... Treasurer Josh Frydenberg says he's in the political fight of his life this election, Sarah. He's being challenged by a Teal Independent candidate, Monique Ryan, for the seat of Kuyong. That's a blue ribbon liberal seat. It's in the wealthy eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Tell me a little bit more about this
1: electorate. So Kuyong is a, a very wealthy inner Melbourne electorate. It's got... St- suburbs like Hawthorne and Kew and suburbs that I think most people, like parts of Glen Iris, most people associate with, in uh, you know, very blue blood liberal areas uh, in Melbourne. Now, Despite that, over the over the previous few elections, the seat has been becoming more and more marginal for the Liberals, um, and it's only held by Josh Frydenberg on a, a 6.4% margin, um, and he's now under real threat um, that this seat, which has been held by the Liberal Party, as you said, back to the Menzies days, it's existed since Federation, and it's always been a conservative seat, and now it is at risk of falling to a Teal Independent because of the changing demographics, but also the changing priorities of... Of people in these seats who are really now looking for stronger action on climate change. Um, and of course, that is a key part of the campaign being run by Monique Ryan, who has been backed by Simon Holmes Court and Climate 200.
0: 6.5% is still a fairly wide margin. So why is he so worried?
1: So I think the difficult thing is for a a Liberal candidate like Josh Frydenberg in a seat like Yong, he really needs to keep his primary vote um, as close to 50%, if not over 50% to really guarantee the seat. And the reason for that is for Monique Ryan, she only needs to come second and she could come second with, let's say, 25% of the vote. She just needs to come second to Josh Frydenberg. So I suspect that you could easily have a situation where Josh Frydenberg gets a much higher primary vote, but Monique Ryan, say she gets 25% of a primary vote vote, she then is swept over the line with preferences from the Greens, from the Labor Party and from any other independents. So that is why in our preferential voting system, that's how it works. So it it is in some ways more challenging for Josh Frydenberg than it is for Monique Ryan because she doesn't need as big a primary vote as Josh Frydenberg does to win the seat.
0: Hmm. Monique Ryan says she supports a Federal Integrity Commission and tougher emissions targets. So how tough is it for Frydenberg, who's a moderate liberal, to meet her attack on these issues in this electorate?
1: Yeah, it's extremely difficult because obviously um, Frydenberg will say that, well, the government has committed to net zero by 2050 and obviously he was a uh, someone who has been pushing for the government to adopt that target, knowing the concerns of his electorate. Um, but I still get the sense that it's not seen as enough and it's not seen as soon enough. So uh, I suspect that it's it's difficult for him to argue that um, the government has been doing enough on net zero and particularly given the public's or the, the fight plan out quite publicly between the Nationals uh, and the Liberals and so people are very well aware of the pressures within the coalition party room where you've got this force of the Nationals really uh, holding back the government's ability to take stronger action on climate change.
0: And I'm sure in many seats where the sitting member is perhaps less high profile, less well-known, it's, uh, it's less of an issue what role they've played in the last term of parliament. But of course, Josh Frydenberg is the treasurer of the coalition. We've got an election that's being fought on cost of living issues and looking very closely at the government's economic record. So how much does that play into this contest that we're seeing?
1: Yeah, well, I guess Josh Frydenberg at the moment has two jobs. One is to really uh, make the economic argument on the um, f- for the government, and at the same time, he's desperately trying to fight to hold on to his seat and focus on the issues of concern to his constituents. So, um, obviously, I think we've seen Scott Morrison is is really the one carrying the can in terms of the making the economic argument, and we haven't seen Josh Frydenberg travelling around with Scott Morrison in the same way that we've seen Jim Chalmers on the road a lot with Anthony Albanese. So, I think Frydenberg is obviously needing to split his attention. Um, And today he was at the National Press Club debating Jim Chalmers on the economy. Um, And of course, given this election is now well and truly about uh, cost of living concerns and uh, what we're seeing with changes to monetary policy and interest rates going up, then obviously the key questions about the economy are going to continue to sort of split Josh Frydenberg's attention. And um, that's a tricky one for him to juggle.
0: Mm. And you mentioned, Sarah, earlier the changing demographic of Kuyong and and these inner inner eastern suburbs in Melbourne. Mm. We've been seeing here in Melbourne a really interesting divide. So Victorian political royalty is involved in Josh Frydenberg and Monique Ryan's campaign. We have former Victorian Premier Ted Bailey helping Frydenberg's campaign and his son supporting Ryan saying that he no longer has faith in the moderate wing of the Liberal Party, doesn't think there's a small L liberal component to the party anymore more. What does this tell us about how the Liberal, Party, I, Liberal Party's identity is changing more broadly?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's really interesting because obviously one of the things that the Liberal Party has always been quite proud of is it talks about it it being a broad church and how, you know, there are classical liberals in the party who are sort of there because of their shared liberal ideals, particularly in terms of economy, but also in terms of libertarian values of free choice and, and personal responsibility. And that has included some quite progressive social views as well as some very conservative social views. And that's always been something for the Coalition to manage, or the Liberal Party to manage, and then, of course, with the coalition, you've got sort of even more <laughs> extremes uh, with the with the Nats coming into the equation. But look, I think it's been it's sort of interesting because we've seen in the last term of Parliament a lot of those moderate MPs have been prepared to flex their muscle in a way that I think we would normally associate with um, national MPs. So we did see quite a robust push from some of those moderate MPs on things like climate. Um, we have saw um, people cross the floor. Bridget Archer, for example, crossing the floor on the integrity commission. And then we also saw a, a group of moderate MPs cross the floor on the religious discrimination bill. So it's sort of interesting that the moderates, I mean, they're definitely still there and and, and um, they're still showing, showing signs of life. Um, but I think it's difficult in a, a party room where obviously you have um, some very strong uh, conservative voices. Um, it's perhaps not always easy for them to get their way. And I think that's something that these independent teals are, are really focused on. They sort of suggest, well well, even if your local MP is a moderate, they have limited power in to uh, dictate the direction of the government. And so you're better off having a teal independent who perhaps can get balance of power on the crossbench and um, leverage some better outcomes that way.
0: Hmm. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, Kuyong is a blue ribbon liberal seat. So symbolically, it's a pretty big deal if that seat falls to an independent. But what will it mean more broadly for the Liberal Party if Frydenberg loses this fight?
1: Well, I think it's, it's a huge question for the Liberal Party. And I think if Josh Frydenberg loses his seat, then I think we can be pretty confident that he won't be the only moderate MP that is under threat to lose their seat. Um, I think there's others who are also obviously at risk. If that happens, well, if, I guess a few things happen. One, it's sort of a realignment of, you know, who the Liberal Party's people are. Are they going to let go of those people in those inner city seats and uh, direct their attention elsewhere to the outer suburbs and regional seats and hope that they can counteract those losses in those areas? Are there enough seats for them to to do that and remain relevant as the second sort of political party in Australia? And then, of course, there's sort of on the smaller scale, there's the consequences in the coalition party room itself. And obviously, Josh Reidenberg is seen as a future leader. He's always been pegged as a future prime minister. But if he can't retain his seat, then obviously, let's say he does, you know, I think it's unlikely that Josh would lose his seat and the coalition somehow win. So let's say um, Josh loses his seat. The coalition is in opposition, and they have to. The Liberal Party has to pick a new leader. Josh isn't there. I think obviously Peter Dutton then becomes your most likely option. And if other moderate MPs lose their seats, then that diminishes the voice of moderate MPs in the um, party room, and so that's obviously going to have uh, going to influence the party's direction in terms of policy and um, its sort of priorities on that front. So. It's super interesting and I think, I know we're talking about this as sort of what happens to Josh, but there is a much bigger question at play here, which is what happens to the Liberal Party uh, without people like Josh Frydenberg in it. And I think that's a really big question and and the fallout from that is going to be super interesting if it comes to that.
0: Thanks so much for your time, Sarah. I know you're busy, so I'll let you go. Thanks, Jane. Speak to you soon. That's your campaign catch-up for today. Make sure you also listen to today's special bonus episode of Australian Politics. Guardian Australia's chief political correspondent, Sarah Martin, is on the show with Peter Lewis, the executive director of Essential. They'll be discussing the latest Guardian Essential poll figures and the key issues that are driving the 6% of voters who still haven't decided how they'll vote in this election.
1: For those that are undecided, worried about cost of living, which is their number one issue disproportionately, think about this. Labor, albeit modest policy agenda, is about government doing stuff. It's about government taking shared ownership in a home for a low-income worker. Morrison's is about letting the market work.
0: To have a listen, just search for Australian Politics wherever you're listening to this podcast. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.